Hey, it's Chris Fleck. On this week's episode, I'm speaking with the controversial Udi Wertheimer. He's one of the founders of Taproot Wizard. They're huge proponents of the Ordinal Protocol on Bitcoin. We're going to talk about what his real motivation is with Ordinals and whether he sees this as just like a modest experiment or a protocol that could really fundamentally change Bitcoin. So stay tuned for that. First, BitRefill is making this episode possible. Come to BitRefill.com. Take a look at the gift card selection. It ranges from Amazon to MasterCard to DoorDash to Instacart to Xbox. It goes on and on and on. MasterCard is definitely one of my favorites. Come here, add it to the cart after you choose the amount. If it's under 200 or under, you don't even need an account. Okay, so you can check out. You can enter an email address. You can put whatever you want there. Continue to payment. Choose how you want to pay. You want to pay with Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDC. Pick from this list and then you'll get the address. Just send your crypto to the address and you get that gift card. You can use it anywhere online. You can put it in your phone for Apple Pay or Google Pay and use it in stores. It's a really awesome tool. If you do decide to create an account, use promo code CHRISBLACK at checkout and you're going to get Bitcoin back in rewards after you purchase any gift card on bitrefill.com. That's bitrefill.com, promo code CHRISBLACK. And I appreciate you being here. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. Let me, let me tell you why I, I invited you first, you know, and then we can sort of just chat. Um, <laughs> You're a low on potential guest. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. There's it is a, a big pool out there. I've been doing this like one a week. And I, I find that when I stop trying to confine it to just Ethereum or just Bitcoin or something like that, like the world opened up because there's all these people that are like on the fringes. Like, I feel like I'm on the fringes, not the fringes of, of like uh, the fringes of, of ex what's acceptable, right? In the, in right. the world of crypto. Really all of us are the entire industries on the fringes of what's acceptable, right? Yeah. That, that's what's hilarious. Cause we're all unacceptable to mainstream, but then some of us are unacceptable to others within our little corner of the universe, which is weird, but, um, but Mr. is Wertheimer, right? I want to say yep. it correctly. Yes. I listened to Bankless and he kept saying Wertheimer and I wanted to smack him in the face. I don't even uh, know what the right way to say it. <laughs> really? Ah, you just got to go no, back. I mean, I can, uh, not, a, not in American English. Okay. Where did you come from? I'm originally from Israel. And now you're in the States. You're an American. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm in the States, yeah. You're in the States, dude. Okay. Illegal. I got you. Um wouldn't say that. <laughs> I I I was interested in speaking with you because um I've never been able to really put my finger on on like I understand what you do, <clears throat> but I've never been able to put my finger on why you do it or what your your motivation is. You know? So and I think that's important. I think we're all here for different reasons. You know, I think, um, I mean, myself, I've said over and over, I'm, I'm here primarily for, for freedom. I want to detach from the government. You know, I want to, I want to have liberty. I want to be sovereign, um, with my money, you know, and I understand that money 
is everything these days. Like we're not farming, we're not hunting, we're living in cities. And you, you know, if, if you don't have money, you can't eat, you can't get healthcare, you can't get clean water. So to me, that's, that's paramount, you know, and that's why Bitcoin to me is, has been such a, um, important part of feeling that way. You know, it's like, what else do we have really right now that, that separates us in that way? Um, so why do you do what you do? Like, are you on the same wavelength as me? Do you feel like in other Bitcoiners or do you feel like you're kind of somewhere else on the, on the spectrum? Yeah. Um, well, thanks for asking. I mean, I've been involved in Bitcoin for, I think like 10 years now. Um, and, um, I think, um, I mean, look, obviously I'm very bullish on Bitcoin, right? Long-term. Um, and like, I think a lot of Bitcoiners are right. Um, and to me, I can say about my own journey that my, not only did my understanding or my perception of Bitcoin evolved over the years, but also, um, the ways that it's useful to me personally has, has evolved over the years. And I think at least to me, it's like, I'm like, well, you know, there's probably many ways this would be useful to people. Um, what you're describing is, is an important part of it. And there's probably more, uh, to me, it's not necessarily these days, the, uh, drive to um, you know, free myself from the government. I, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm beholden to the government. Uh, you know, the government is there to do what it does and I'm, I'm a, a separate individual. Right. But, um, I think that, uh, it is, it is mostly about, um, the practicalities of freedom to me. So, you know, for example, when I my first interests in Bitcoin were due to, I was, I was interested in online poker at the time. Right. And well, probably I was interested in online poker probably a couple of years before I heard about Bitcoin and I kind of lost interest by then, but, but I, I saw, um, one thing I saw very clearly how difficult it is for poker players to transfer funds to and from those poker websites. So that was one thing. And the second thing was, is some of them collapsed. Um, and it turned out some of them were actual Ponzi schemes. It, it, it became obvious that at least to me, that the fact that you see a number on a stream, uh, as your balance does not mean that this is actual money that exists or that you own and those concepts. So both of these concepts became clear to me early on in that way, I was like, well, one thing, the money I have in my bank account, it's not really mine because I can only move it. I can only transfer it when the bank agrees. And the second thing is when I see online a balance somewhere, it, it might be meaningless. Um, so then when I heard about Bitcoin later, it just clicked, it just made sense. I was like, well, you know what? It seems to solve both of these problems. Um, and of course that relates to like, you know, why, why were poker sites so difficult to use for many reasons, because the government didn't want you using them. 
So, so yeah, it relates to the issue of freedom for government, but to me, it was also just a practical thing, right? Um, but it made a lot of sense and it was obvious to me why it's useful. And as years went by, and I think I've seen a lot of other people using Bitcoin in very interesting ways, um, it just became obvious that when you don't have to ask for permission, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be surprising unexpected use cases that might be interesting to some people, maybe not the majority, maybe not the mainstream, maybe yes. Uh, it's kind of hard to predict when or why certain groups will find a reason to, to want to use Bitcoin. So it's, it's, it's less of like a political thing for me and more, um, more practical thing. And I, I do, I just, I just think that, you know, humans turn out and end up being like surprisingly, um, capable when, when limits are moved. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested in from the practical steps, I guess, and the, and it's very close. I think it's, it's very, very close to what I, what, what you're talking about. Um, it seems One close. Thing that I find really interesting is when you say, are you, are you, are your interests in Bitcoin different from the interests of other Bitcoiners? And I, I think like Bit, Bitcoiners is a very, very diverse group. Um, especially as, you know, as someone who grew up outside of the U.S. So I'm, you know, I would say I'm much closer to, um, definitely Middle Eastern culture, but also just Eastern culture. And I've seen the ways that people use Bitcoin in, in other countries outside of, of the U.S. for many years. It has been up until, I don't know, let's say 2017, 2018, it has been probably way more popular outside of the U.S. than in the U.S., right? And I think a lot of things shifted around that time and accelerated later. Um, so there are many ways that people use Bitcoin that are very different to, to that kind of libertarian, um, um, ideals that a lot of people in the Western world have about Bitcoin. Um, not that I disagree with them, I do, but I, I just think a lot of people that consider themselves Bitcoiners do not see, do not see it necessarily through a political lens. It's interesting because, you know, the, the foundings, like the root of Bitcoin uh, you know, from the first block, right, was sort of separating us from government-run banks and from fiat. Um, but at the same time, to declare that, Satoshi inscribed uh, in the Genesis block, you know, what he inscribed, you know. And so it's it brings it full circle. You know, I guess what I was asking before was it seems like the culture for many years has been, you know, and obviously more so back in like the mid, you know, like, like 2015, 2016, 2017, like it really was like Bitcoin was sort of synonymous with this libertarian kind of political movement. Right. And then things started to change as, as money started to come in. Right. And, and people started talking about all these different use cases for it. And I think that when I was saying like, are you thinking differently from other Bitcoiners? It wasn't me meant to be like all Bitcoiners, but it's definitely a fringe thing now. You would agree because you get a lot of pushback. Like it's fringe to think about using Bitcoin block space for purposes other than money. It's still like a fringe thing. It's not common in the development space. Definitely not common in like what people are looking for from Bitcoin as an investment or anything like that. So 
you're fringe in that regard, right? And you've gotten a lot of crap for it. I mean, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is that in the last year, that view has grown exponentially, right? So I would say, um, if we were talking more than a, like in 2021 about using Bitcoin in order to, um, inscribe data and trade NFTs, you would absolutely be left out of the room. And now, yeah, it is, it is, it is. It is kind of a fringe use case, but it is a use case. It's a real use case where, you know, every block between like 20 to 50% of transactions are of that nature. Um, every single block. That's a lot. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, is it, is it, is it the majority use case? I wouldn't say so, but it's, it's grown to, to be pretty substantial. And I, I do want to clarify though, I still view Bitcoin as money. I think it's still like store value is still the main and most important use case for Bitcoin. Probably I, I don't actually think that storing JPEGs is going to be, um, more important or more revolutionary, um, than the digital gold use case. But I think it, it is actually, it is almost. To me, it seems almost obvious, right? That there's this very large group. Um, and I think both you and I are part of that group of, of people who are just sentimental about Bitcoin. It's beyond um, um, just the mere practicality. I know I talked about being practical before, but it's beyond just that because we know that there's a large group of people who, you know, they have Bitcoin tattoos on their bodies. They, they define them. So they, they identify as Bitcoiners, you know, all of their friends and family know them as the Bitcoiner of the family. Right. We know a lot of people like that. Many, many people like that. And if you ask them, like, who are you? What are you in this world? They'll say, I'm a Bitcoiner. And that's not just the laser eyes and Bitcoin maxis. There's a lot of people who don't identify that way, but they, they believe that Bitcoin is the most important thing that they can be involved in. So for that group, and that's not a tiny group, that's a substantial group. For that group, I think that um, interacting with collectibles that literally live on the chain that they love, I think makes sense. Um, you know, there are, there are people who collect other kinds of stuff related, related to other stuff they're interested in, right? They, people collect stamps and people collect, like, um, because they love history and, and, and there are people who collect things on Bitcoin because they love Bitcoin. To me, it makes perfect sense. I don't think it's going to be the main use case of Bitcoin, not at all. I think, you know, I, I've had, like, I initially had a very negative reaction to, to ordinals. Um, well, I've always had a very, me I've, too, always, by the way. I've always had a very <laughs> negative reaction to you uh, <laughs> and you to me, which is fine. We're being yeah. civil. That's good. I like it. Um, no offense. I'm, I'm kidding. I know, I know, you I know, like to, it. to, to get the message through on Twitter, you have to be a dick. It's like the only way to get things across sometimes, especially in this, yeah. in the Bitcoin space. So, um, I said, but at least you can build, see, I can't even build stuff. So it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I have to scream even louder sometimes, but, um, <laughs> so the negative reaction, uh, for me, and I think for a lot of people comes from the fact that, um, we recognize that Bitcoin is, is a, um, I can't think of a better way to put it right now than a, like a mass delusion in a way. Like, and Andreas Antonopoulos is talking about this a lot. And 
so have others where it's like money is what we believe it to be, right? It's it's whatever we come together and say it is. And so we've come together and we've gotten the world to come together uh, through storytelling to believe that Bitcoin is is you know one of the hardest forms of money on the planet and um, is the most uh, uh, freely transferable and censorship resistant and on and on and on. And a large part of that that story has revolved around the fact that it simply doesn't have another use. Like this is the use of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is this. And a large part of why I think Ethereum hasn't, you know, despite like all the memes and stuff like that, hasn't sort of caught on in the same way. It's caught on a much different way, but it's caught on a different way because it has so many different use cases, you know, and it serves mm -hmm. so many different masters. And so you know, my initial reaction, and my I, I continue to have sort of this negative reaction in the sense that I don't think that it should stop being built. I think if you can build it, you should build it. But I do think that it 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 sort of hurts the narrative, you know, which I think the narrative is such an important part of the of the story. You know, we have to sort of be looking behind the scenes at like the story that we're telling, because this is mm -hmm. this is the way it is. You know, so first of all, does that part make sense to you? And have you given that consideration? Or from my point of view, you and, and Taproot um, magic, uh, Magicians or Wizards, whatever wizards, you guys call yeah. Taproot Wizards, sorry. Um, you guys are just sort of full steam ahead on like looking to get into any crack in Bitcoin that you can, which makes sense. So, but, but have you considered the narrative side? Do you care about it? Do you think it's a factor? I care about it a lot. I'm a narrative person. That's, that's, that's the the one that you said that I I can build. I cannot build to save my own life. I uh, sometimes I I'm lucky enough to to work with people who can. But um, I what I do is I tell stories. Um, and I think that uh, yeah, I would say I think about it pretty much every waking moment. And I agree with you uh, that it matters. Um, I think that um. The, the story or the narrative behind Bitcoin changed a lot over the years, right? Like we're talking today about store value and I, I, and I think it's a very good narrative. Um, it, it is a big part of why I am bullish on Bitcoin myself, but it hasn't really always been the case. And, and especially in the early days, well, Depends on what you consider early. I said I've been in Bitcoin ten years, and I consider myself late to Bitcoin. But um, but back then, most of what I've heard people talk about was um, mostly payments. Um, and I think it was this period of time when people were discovering kind of what Bitcoin is and what can it work best for. And it was it was kind of mostly around payments, maybe not necessarily payments for coffee. Uh, although that was something that people were hoping for too, were like saying, well, one day everyone will use Bitcoin for payments in, 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 in physical stores. But even before that, there was the, you know, maybe digital commerce online, um, maybe paying, you know, like, um, contractors with Bitcoin, um, a lot of stuff like that, that I feel over the years became, you know, it's maybe more popular in absolute numbers, but as far as mindshare is concerned, it's kind of not as popular. And, and there's been a lot, you know, there's been a lot of other stuff. There's been, um, 
you know, RSK rootstock used to be a very popular narrative when Ethereum started. A lot of people were saying, well, we don't need Ethereum because we're going to have smart contracts on rootstock with Bitcoin. That never fully materialized, but that was something people have been talking about a lot. That was, that was a pretty dominant narrative at the time. Um, and you've seen a lot of this. I think those, those things change very often and to arrive at the digital um, store value narrative, we, we needed to try a lot of things, a lot of other narratives to arrive in it. And, and while I think that it is um, a good narrative and I think it is, it is a good reflection of reality too, um, I, I don't think that every single person is going to find that appealing, right? I think it's a, it's a difficult conversation to have with most people. Um, the conversation about um, the role of money, how it works, how to, like a lot of people don't want to talk about that at all. They don't want to hear about it. Um, I would say that's probably the majority of people, the vast majority, really. They just not, they don't want to. And I, I think one thing I was, I mean, you've seen my bullshit on Twitter over the years. I've, I've used to be extremely critical of Ethereum, extremely critical of NFTs. Um, and I think something changed specifically with NFTs. I think something changed when I saw how passionate people were about them. And of course, a lot of it was entirely about, uh, you know, just this boom and bust about all of 2021, 2022, and people saw an opportunity to make quick cash. Of course, that was a very, very big part of that. But, you know, I'm, I've seen a lot of boom and bust cycles in crypto over the years, and I thought there was something special here. Like people, beyond the fact that, of course, their main motivation was, uh, of course, to make a quick buck, but still they, they became, they started identifying with those things very quickly. And that to me was very interesting. And you, you started seeing communities form around those things. Um, you saw a lot of people who use self-custody for the first time in order to use NFTs. So what, what ended up happening is that NFTs were not really supported by most of the kind of centralized custodial exchanges. The only, the only realistic way you had to really trade them was with self-custody tools and wallets. And a lot of people, the first time they got exposed to self-custody and learned about seed phrases and so on was through NFTs. Probably, you know, a very large number of people actually, uh, in the millions, I guess. So, you know, and looking back at how difficult it was for me over, you know, a decade to convince people to go to self-custody when they were motivated enough to care about Bitcoin, right? They, they reach out to me and say, Hey, you're the Bitcoin guy that I know in my circle, you know, tell me more about Bitcoin. And I tell them, yeah, you should get like a self-custody wall and buy some, and they're like, you know, breaking out and, and ending up leaving their coins on Coinbase, best case scenario, worst case scenario, they're like, well, this seems too complicated. I'm just not going to do it. Then you, you, you move to NFTs and these guys are using the worst tools ever made, <laughs> but, but self custody, they go, they jump through all the hoops because they want to be part of that NFT mania. And so I'm like, okay, there's something here, you know, it, it's, it does something to people. And I think what we've seen, so what I wanted to do is to see if we can kind of take that energy 
and make it useful for Bitcoin? Can we grow the Bitcoin pie that way? And that was, I didn't know, you know, that was an experiment we wanted to run. Me and Eric Wall and, and Far, who's the artist who made the type of wizards, we've been talking about this for six plus months before Orno started, right? So last year, last summer, we've been like working on how can we make this happen? We've been working on the art, we've been working on the narratives, but we didn't have the very important technical piece of Ornals itself. And when Ornals popped off, we were like, well, before they popped off, really, <laughs> we were like, okay, we're gonna, we, this is like, this is perfect. It, it, the technical part and it fits the, the, the narrative that we wanted to build and let's give it a shot. And what we found is there's a lot of people in the NFT ecosystem, in the larger crypto ecosystem who care about Bitcoin in the sense that they, they think it's at the very least intriguing. They think it's mysterious. They, they think a lot of positive things about it actually, but they were kind of pulled away from it because one, they didn't have anything. They felt like they didn't have anything to do with it, right? And they felt like they can't really be a part of it. There's nothing appealing for them to do with it. And, and the second thing, I think the community has been, at least the loud parts of the community has been very, very negative towards them. So they were just not interested in being part of that. And I, once we kind of put the script on both of those things, we said, one, here's something you can do and, and that can be interesting for you. And two, we're going to be welcoming to you. We're not going to say, Hey, you're idiots, you scammers, you're, you're evil, you're whatever. We don't want you to be part of that group. And instead we're going to be inviting. And what we found is, you know, during the, the depths of the bear market, we had tons of people from other ecosystems, from Solana ecosystem, from the Ethereum NFT ecosystem, who were like, you know what, this is the first time I'm going to look at Bitcoin ever. Um, mm -hmm. But they came here for, to, to make money, right? They came here to, to trade yeah. tokens or trade ordinals or whatever it might Probably. be. And they didn't, that's part of, I think the pushback is, you know, they didn't come here to, um, you know, try to separate themselves from the, the evil fiat, right? They didn't come here to, to try to beat the man, uh, you know, the banks and stuff like that. They came here to, to, to mess around the same way they were doing on Ethereum and Solana, right? Which is what they're doing to there too. 10 years ago. I came to Bitcoin 10 years ago to make one. You know, I, I, I saw an opportunity. I, I also had no idea what I'm doing to be clear, but I thought I did. <laughs> And, and I, 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 I thought I saw an opportunity and I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's go, let's get into it. And, and there was a promise of the, or, or there was at least the potential of, 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 of very high returns over time. And through that, I learned more about what it is, how it can be useful beyond that. Um, why I think it's an important invention for basically humankind. Um, but I didn't know that from day one, I needed to have like a bait to get in. And that is a story that I've seen repeated many, 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 many times over that the last 10 years. And I think most people, not everyone, but I think most people will probably get into this ecosystem for that reason, but hopefully we get them to kind of flip, or at least we get them to get it. And, and, and what I've seen, you know, Ornals, like everything else had this like big hype cycle. Everyone was talking about it for a few weeks or months and, and that died down a little bit, right? Like it's not as, it's not, 
on top of people's minds in the same way it was, let's say in, in May or April, but, um, but it's still there and there is still a, a significant community. And we talked before about the data there's, we're talking about seriously 20 to 50% of every block, um, is ordinal transactions. There is this strong base of people who, are, who work and build on ordinals every day. Um, I would say for bear rocket, it's, it's way beyond what my expectations were. And those people now care about Bitcoin, and I think they get it. They get it for, um, it, it's actually really interesting. Like ordinals are not NFTs, right? They're, they're different from NFTs. Inscriptions are different from NFTs in, 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 in material ways that I think really align with the story of why Bitcoin itself is special. So one thing is, right, like you inscribe on Bitcoin, it's there forever. It's not going to, it's not IPFS or some web server that has images on it that, that, that can be changed or removed. Um, the, uh, the, um, properties of, of those, of those ordinals are set in stone too. So you can't have an issuer show up later and say, well, actually I don't want you guys to trade on, on, on Magic Eden because they're not paying me my royalties or something. So I'm going to remove Magic Eden or Blur. I'm going to remove Blur. I'm going to whatever, all of those tricks that issuers do on the NFT side of Ethereum, they're not possible on Bitcoin because the, the owner owns their, their ordinal. It's theirs. It's truly theirs, just like with, with Bitcoin. And I think that people who interact with this ecosystem understand that now, especially if they saw that in NFTs on Solana and Ethereum first, then move to Bitcoin and they're seeing the difference. I think they get it. And then they... Through that, they understand why Bitcoin is special too. And so, I, and I've seen this a lot. This isn't something I'm, I'm making up. I, I really was, <laughs> I was very reluctant about doing anything with Orals in the beginning, even though we, we were working on this project before it all started. The beginning was like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. But as I, as I started learning about it more and, and we tried to do it very quickly in like a week, that's it. But as I started learning about it more, I was like, you know what? This is actually, this seems different. And, and I, I think, I think people are, um, seeing that. So in my experience, yeah, it did take, of course, the main reason people started and wanted to be interested in the world was because they were looking to make money. But I think that as they got into it, they learned, um, at least those that stayed learned why, um, why Bitcoin itself is special. And one thing that you see, I think is really, really interesting. You know, as, as my big, like bull market that I've seen for the first time, um, there was just as I joined, there was like the 2013 or 14 bull market that ended with the collapse of Mt. Gox, but I was way too young and stupid to understand what was going on. The first one that I really fully experienced was the one in 2017, the ICO bubble and, and all of that stuff. Um, what was really interesting in 2017 is that a ton of people who wanted to participate in the ICO stuff, what they ended up doing, because most exchanges only supported Bitcoin at the time, most like on ramps. So, or, you know, maybe not most, but many of them. So what a lot of people end up doing, they would transfer their fiat to one of those on ramps by BTC take that BTC, transfer it to their own Bitcoin wallet, 
then use that, maybe convert that to Ethereum or Ripple or something on some other exchange. They would have to go sign up for another exchange, deposit the BTC there, convert to some, some of those other altcoins, and then maybe from there participate in the ICO. So they, they, they use Bitcoin. They very frequently ended up with having, you know, they would buy some Bitcoin, put it in their wallet, leave it there, at least some portion of it, and, and, and take the rest and gamble with, with ICOs. But they, at the end of the bull market, with most of those ICOs went to, you know, zero, at least they still had a Bitcoin wallet and at least they had some BTC in it. And over the years that ended up being worth something, even though everything else they did was, was bad investments, at least they ended up with some BTC. Um, yep. in this last cycle, you barely saw any of that, um, almost no one of the new people who wanted to participate in the DeFi stuff and the NFT stuff, almost none of them got Bitcoin. What they did, and, and that was, to me, that was honestly, that that's when I kind of flipped and I was like, wait, something is going on here that is bad, that is very concerning. And, and, and it's not because like, yeah, you know, a lot of people would say even back then, it doesn't matter because NFTs will go to zero and DeFi will go to zero. So who cares if people are wrong and they'll, they'll realize that they're wrong. And, and yeah, they were mostly wrong and they did realize they were wrong, but at the end of the day, they, their DeFi stuff went to zero, their NFTs went to zero, but they still have MetaMask and they still have some ETH in there. And the ETH didn't go to zero, you know, it lost 50%, fine, but it's, it's still there. And, and they consider themselves Ethereum people now. And as the next bull cycle starts, they're like, well, I'm going to learn more about Ethereum. I'm going to learn about being an Ethereum developer, maybe I'm going to learn about whatever. Um, they ever interacted with Bitcoin. They don't have a Bitcoin wallet. They don't have any, you know, tiny, the tiniest fractures of BTC. They don't have any of it because they, they were never, they never had a reason to. So I was like, man, that's a problem because in 2017, and if you talk to a lot of the so-called Bitcoin maximalists and the laser eyes today, they will tell you the way they became Bitcoin maximalists is because in 2017, they played around with shit coins, lost all their money ended up with some BTC in their wallet, so decided to learn about it. That's how, that's how they became Bitcoin Maxors. And that funnel is not happening in 2021 and 2022. Just stuck. It's just so not. Why does that no bother you? Because now you sound like a maximalist. Like, why do you care if, if people stay on Ethereum, if they want to just mess around with, with stupid tokens and stuff like that? Well, they don't anymore, right? So that's the thing. You become a Bitcoin maximalist, and I've seen this time and again, and they admit it themselves. You learn about what makes Bitcoin special through that experience with shitcoins uh, very often. And you understand why, you know, shitcoins are maybe not the best, but, but, but more importantly, you end up having some BTC in your wallet. Uh, maybe it's just a fraction of, of what you had before, but you end up having some BTC in your wallet and you have a BTC wallet. So you're like, okay, you know what? I'll learn about it. Um, and I've seen this time and time again, a lot of the, again, a lot of the Bitcoin maximalists will tell you openly that that's how they became Bitcoin maximalists. And that includes the people who are building on Bitcoin today, the developers, you know, the, the, the podcaster, that's how, you know, if you go and ask Peter McCormick, how he became a Bitcoin podcaster, it will tell you, I. I was shit coins. I lost all my money. I ended up with a small chunk of Bitcoin in my wallet. And I was like, well, let's see what that thing is. <laughs> and, and, 
you know, that, that is a very, very typical story in that group. And I'm thinking, okay, those people who build out the community started through that funnel. If that funnel doesn't exist anymore, how are they ever going to end up with, how is anyone going to end up with Bitcoin? Now, the, the, the problem I see with Ethereum, look, it's not that I have something against Ethereum, but I'm a Bitcoin person. And what I'm seeing is that people are, have been in 2021, 2022, onboarding into Ethereum. And today, after the bear market, after a ton of them left, you know, the ones who stayed, and they did lose a bunch of money, but they stayed because they believe in the deals similar to the ones you talk about. Um, and they, they look at Ethereum and they're like, okay, let's make it better. I, I want to be part of this industry. I want to be part of this community. Ethereum is the thing that I understand. I'm going to work on making it better. Um, Bitcoin needs those people. We can't not have those people. We can't just Why? be like, oh, we have a lot of smart people from Twitter. Who else is going to build it out? Just like have those people. We can't just be like, this sort of goes to the heart of 2012. Like who's going to yeah. do it? It sort of goes to the heart of what we were saying before, though, where you're talking about trying to um, increase adoption by people who who haven't um, sort of bought into the the narrative that I described initially, right? You want to bring people into the ecosystem who want to use Bitcoin for different purposes, or you know, and hope that eventually maybe they figure out the rabbit hole, like you know, and sort of fall into the sovereign money mindset and stuff like that. Uh, but it's based you know, on experience. It's not based on hope, right? It's based on, well, you know, I think we're dealing with a different breed. I think that the people, what I've seen, I, I overestimated the, uh, intelligence and the, um, the, the desire for freedom of a lot of people who came into Ethereum in like, you know, 2019, 2020. I think that a lot of people, DeFi was initially described as we're going to, you know, this is, the, you know, you don't need banks anymore. We're getting rid of the middlemen, et cetera, et cetera. And then it evolved, oh, obviously, <laughs> like all, yeah, everybody realized that they were lying. But the people who were there for that were like 1% of who ultimately came in to DeFi, right? In order to, 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 for the yield and the tokens and stuff like that. And these are people who don't care about, um, hard money they don't care about any of that they just want the gains yeah. especially when we're talking about like you know the big money like the vcs and stuff like that who are just here to make money you know but also there's a lot of little players who came in just you know you know we all have family members who were trading doge and who trade garbage coins on ethereum and stuff like that yeah um I, i'm not convinced that these are the these are the people who I, I think maybe a very small percentage of these people would ever see um what Bitcoin really is capable of doing. It's just a percentage. Know? Let's say it's 10%. I think um, it's even it's less, but I mean, I think it's like, but I think that what people see with ordinals and with what the messaging you guys use is that you're trying to bring in the people, the other 90%, and you're trying to bring them here to hang here and stay here um, for this sort of alternate purpose, hoping that they fall down the rabbit hole. But what if they don't? Like, what if this becomes a much bigger thing? that changes the narrative of Bitcoin in a way that sort of hurts what the rest of us want it to be, which is this hard money, you know, and, and by the way, the reason I get concerned about that, and I want to get into this it? with you. Well, that's, that's what I want to, I want to talk about too. I, I, you know, over the past like year or so, 
I've started to realize more and more that the Bitcoin, um, the Bitcoin blockchain, you know, is, is whatever we think it is as well, right? So, you know, we've seen forks, we've seen narratives shift. Now we're seeing all of these different forces come into Bitcoin, ranging from what you're working on to what like BlackRock is working on to what all, you know, all these different things that are looking at Bitcoin and sort of salivating and seeing ways to, to profit or achieve other objectives. And it's becoming clearer and clearer, especially when we see mining turning into this sort of, um, you know, like two giant mining pools um, control over 50% of the hash power. And both of them re are now requiring KYC on miners to receive payouts. And we're seeing this sort of shift towards um, uh, compliance, right? We're seeing a shift towards compliance. So how long is it from like, one thing that I, you know, tweeted a while ago that got traction was um, about BlackRock uh, in their terms of service. They say, you know, if there's a Bitcoin fork, we decide which one is real, which one's not, right? We decide which one you're going to get in the ETF. And then the other, we're just going to dump. They decide for the ETF users. Right, right, exactly. Of course. But what happens when the ETF becomes like the biggest single holder of Bitcoin? Like what happens when the, the ETF users aren't going to care about decentralization? They're not going to care about the stuff that we care mm -hmm. about. They're going to care about, you know, uh, getting a return on their retirement savings and stuff like that. So, you know, if, if they become the, the largest holder, they decide, okay, guess what? This this proof of stake fork is now the Bitcoin fork. They turn the media against us and the stuff we're working on. And so it's yeah. these kind of narrative shifts that I see is really dangerous if we can't all stay on track with the right narrative, you know? And I think because at that point, it's us against the world. Like we're like 2% and all of a sudden BlackRock is like turning the media. They have backing on governments and stuff like that you know, to, to sort of hijack the whole thing. So it's thinking, we need to start thinking about Bitcoin more as this narrative that's like, needs to be bulletproof rather than just this blockchain, you know, that's sort of, you know, mined and just, you know, it's it's a bigger thing. And I think that's what maximalism tries to do, but in a, in a toxic, weird religion kind of way. And I, I want to try to find new ways to, for us to think about this. Um, and I just see ordinals as as sort of, distracting from it you know um so i want to hear what you have to say on that but something else i want you to think about or address so is wait, the, the, the concern that you have about ordinals is just that it's distracting or is it something else well the other thing i want to ask you and maybe you can just address all of it you've talked about bitcoin uh, about ordinals as like a tool for adoption right like to increase adoption to get more people to try bitcoin but you've also like i heard you guys talk about it as um, you know, a tool for identity and a tool for, um, you know, tracking important records and sailors been out there saying, you know, you know, there's, it's interesting cause you know, I can I own my identity and stuff like that. Yeah. So like, where do you stand on that? Because that's the kind of stuff where, when we're not even sure who's going to control the Bitcoin narrative in 10 years, like I get nervous about anything other than money, uh, being on this chain, but where do you stand on like the future of it? I don't know the future. I think that uh, I think that Bitcoin. Um, I think that Bitcoin has a complacency problem, and that's not Bitcoin itself. That's the Bitcoin community, right? Bitcoin, Bitcoin itself is just a 
it's just the numbers on the computer. But I think that the, 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 the community around it, at least the loud community has a complacency problem. I think that, um, I think that people think that the, um, um, the prophecy will just come true. They don't need to do anything about it. Uh, they just need to sit around on their coins and wait. Um, and I think that there are still a lot of things to do. That does not mean that I know what those things are that need to be done. I do not. The only thing I know how to do is to experiment and try things out and see, um, you know, how the world reacts to your experiments and double down on things that work and forget about the things that don't work. And, and that I, I have no answer to you on, on what the future is going to look like. I think that in order for Bitcoin to fulfill its, its potential, um, people who use Bitcoin will have to experiment with things. I, I, I think it's unlikely that we have discovered all of the best optimal use cases for Bitcoin. I think that's probably not the case. So, so for that, we need to experiment and, and, you know, we are experimenting with ornal stuff and other people are experimenting with other things. Um, and, and that's great. Um, I will be happy to fail. That is, that is completely fine. Um, I think that, uh, the reason to be bullish on Bitcoin is because it allows you to try a lot of things without asking for anyone's permission, including other holders. Some of them may not like it. That's okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't ask for their help, you know, they, 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 they can just idly buy and, and watch. And if they think that what we're doing is stupid, then and they know it's destined to fail, then they have nothing to worry about. Right. Um, that's it. I, I, I think that, um, with the ETF stuff and the mining centralization stuff, those are, those are concerns that people have been talking about for many years, many, literally since the day I, I bought my first Bitcoin. Um, I've, I've seen people, uh, talking specifically about mining centralization and about an ETF, believe it or not, people have been talking about ETF at least since I joined in 2013, probably before that too. Um, and they thought it was imminent back then too. Uh, <laughs> um, but well, we are closer now, obviously. It is, it is, it is definitely closer now. Yeah. I, 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 now I, even I think that it's imminent now, but it's funny because yeah, Bitcoin is always thought it was imminent. So that's kind of a funny thing to remember, but it, it seems like this time it really is. Um, so, so those are concerns that people always had. Um, and, and I, I think, I think they're very serious concerns. Um, but also I think, you know, we, you know, we need to be able to present compelling, not only arguments, but compelling realities to people that will make them choose to, you know, choose self-custody and, and choose self-sovereignty. Um, not all of them are going to choose that, but we have to at least, um, um, be compelling enough so that some people choose it. And if, if Bitcoin is just destined to be in ETFs, then I guess it is what it is. But, you know, even, even, even in that scenario, um, there is the, the nice thing about it, right. Is that you could have many ETFs, you can have many ETFs in many different jurisdictions and those can compete with each other and they don't need to ask for permission from the central Bitcoin authority to become an ETF. Of course, in the U.S., they need the SEC's permission, and in other countries, they will need their own. But um, 
but at least there can be many of them and they can compete similarly to how, you know, Coinbase competes with Binance and with other exchanges. And yeah, maybe many people keep their best coin on Coinbase, but at least they have a choice. Um, I think that, you know, that is just part of being that type of decentralized asset. Um, it does allow you that type of choice. Hopefully those things become competitive enough with each other that you don't have BlackRock controlling the whole thing. Um, I, I, I'm pretty optimistic that's probably what's going to end up happening. ETFs are going to be popular, but not, maybe not a single one. Um, and also ETF as a vehicle will probably not be the only vehicle that people will use. Look, I mean, I, you know, Hal Feeney talked on, on, on the very earliest, uh, conversations on Bitcoin talk about how, um, people will probably have their Bitcoin in their bank account. Uh, just like they have a U.S. dollar balance, they'll have a Bitcoin balance and they'll use it there is what he expected would happen. I, I still think that if, if Bitcoin does succeed, that that might be one of the main ways that people interact with it. Um, but the important thing is they have a choice. They can choose which bank they can choose. Maybe they want an ETF, but not a bank account. They can choose to withdraw and hold it themselves. They can use lightning. They can use all of those things. I think that adding on rolls to that list of things that they can use is also useful. Um, you know, there's, um, there's this very interesting comparison that, uh, I guess from Eric Wall. You know, most people, their main interaction with gold and gold is very similar to Bitcoin in many ways. Of course, it's more primitive and ancient, but, um, it's very similar to Bitcoin in, in many fundamental ways. And the main way that most people interact with gold, it is not, um, it is not by just buying gold and holding it in a vault in their home. It is also not the gold ETF. The gold ETF is popular, but it's not the, the, the most popular way that people interact with gold. The most popular way that people interact with gold is through jewelry. Tons of people on this planet own jewelry, gold jewelry. It's a status symbol for them. It's a way to flex. It just, for some of them, they collect it. Uh, they just think it's beautiful. Others, they don't wear it at all. Um, you know, people get married and give each, give each other gold rings. Um, it is, it is, um, it is, a uh, it is something that, you know, almost everyone in, in the global culture has interacted with, even if they don't own it, they, they know people who own it, you know, it's very, very, very popular. I think that almost have a potential of being that it's, it's, it's like Bitcoin jewelry. It's like a way to say, yeah, I, I, I see value in Bitcoin. Um, maybe not as a financial thing, but as a status symbol, as a way to flex. And I, I see the value of owning it. Um, there is the potential. I haven't seen a lot of people doing that, but there is the potential of having actual BTC inside the ordinals, right? So ordinals are made of that technically. Um, the, the, the nominal amount is usually almost zero, but, um, technically you could have an ordinal that is made out of one BTC or more. And maybe that is the thing that will become popular. Um, I, also inscriptions themselves are made out of Bitcoin block space. That's not the same as BTC, the asset, but they, they take up 
actual Bitcoin box space, you know, the first step wizard we made is a four megabyte transaction was the first four megabyte transaction of the Bitcoin history. We had to pay for whole block in order to do it. Whoever owns that knows that they have, you know, this piece of, of block space. They cannot reuse it. It's not, it's, it's not like, you know, when you buy a gold uh, a ring, you can melt it and use the gold for something else. You cannot melt the block space and use it for something else, but it, 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 it still shows it's like this, this sort of status symbol saying, Hey, I have this thing that is forever on the Bitcoin chain. It clearly took work and, and, and money to create it. And, and it's there for everyone to see. I think it has that sort of similar value to what the jewelry is. So I, I think that a lot of people will, I mean, we don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think there's a good chance that a lot of people will, will, will interact with Bitcoin in that way, um, yeah. similarly to how they interact with jewelry. It's an interesting comparison. I haven't thought about that or in that way. You know, I think as you're saying it, it it's starting to uh, become more and more apparent to me. And, and it has been, like I was just saying, like over the past years or so, that Bitcoin as an asset and as a, a trustless uh, protocol is so much more fragile than gold when it comes mm. to the fact, and that'll trigger a lot of people. But, you know, <laughs> I really believe that the future of Bitcoin is, is, is up for debate as far, you know, as far as the, the trends that we're seeing, you know, going back to what I was saying before, mining becoming, you know, primarily controlled by KYC compliant, government compliant pools. Um, the majority, you know, more and more Bitcoin being held by custodians, a higher percentage every passing day, mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, more and more people getting involved that really don't care about decentralization a bit. Countries getting involved and in, in, in looking at it and um, obviously not caring about decentralization, but just looking for ways that they could hurt privacy on it and hurt other um, sort of, the, of these aspects of it that we need and uh, that we appreciate. The trend is going in a direction where the narrative could end up getting hijacked. Not for me, not for you, and not for people who, who've been here from the start. But again, we're like 1% of the world, if that. And the other 99% of the world, uh, primarily, most of them will just follow whatever narrative is fed to them. You know, So if a different narrative is fed to them about Bitcoin, they're going to believe it. And if they're pushed something that we don't think is Bitcoin, if they're pushed something as Bitcoin that we don't think is, they're going to believe it. You know, so if there is a hijack, like a, a fork down the road where, okay, somebody's going to fork Bitcoin, it's uh, a proof of stake fork, you know, validators controlled by, by whitelisted, uh, you know, companies like BlackRock and Chase and, you know, governments and whatever it might be. And like, okay, this is Bitcoin now. And everybody who had Bitcoin before, you still have Bitcoin on this chain. Uh, so you have nothing to worry about. And by the way, the value of this is going to skyrocket because we control it. And the value of your other garbage chain is, is going to go to zero because we control that too, basically. So um, like I see that in the future. That couldn't happen with gold, right? Gold is, is, is physical. You hold it in your hand. You have a necklace and nobody can take it from you uh, without a gun. Um, with Bitcoin, it's different. There's different ways that they can take it I mean, from you could us. Have, you know, you could have, it's, it's, you know, you... BlackRock could come and say, hey, all of you guys were owning the gold ETFs. Just so you know, we did some research. It turns out that, you know, 
what we thought as gold is actually not gold. And actually Play-Doh is gold. So we're replacing all the all of the gold in the safes with, with Play-Doh. That's gold now. That's what gold is. We were just wrong. It wasn't it wasn't the gold molecules. It wasn't the gold atoms. It, it's it's this is gold. And and they could try that. Um I think they will fail spectacularly be left out of the room because in fact they do not control the gold supply. For different reasons though. Because people know what gold is. I think it's similar is. reasons. Well yeah. people know, know what, what gold, gold is. Because they can hold it in yeah. their hand, they can they have it around their neck, they have it, you know, they have gold coins. People know yeah. what gold is. People don't know what Bitcoin is. Like most people holding Bitcoin don't know what it is. That's the big difference. And they can never hold it yeah. and they can never wear it and they can never touch it. Yeah, I think I think I I don't want to um I don't want to try to sound too self-important because I don't think I'm gonna say that Ornold fixed this, but I I want I don't I I I it's a joke. I don't actually think that Ornolds are gonna fix this, but I think that Ornolds help. Um because I think that people who interact with Ornolds interact directly with Bitcoin and learn and understand what it is, as opposed to people who buy Bitcoin on Coinbase or in the future buy the Bitcoin ETF, they, I agree with you, will probably not know anything about what it is. Um, they don't know much about what it is today when they buy on Coinbase and they will probably know less when they buy an ETF. Um, but when they interact with Ornolds, they, they do know. Um, and again, they interact with it daily. They show it to their friends. They say, hey, this is my Ornol. Um, I think that kind of interaction is what gets people to understand what a thing is. Um, I don't know that we can get it to become as mainstream as an ETF. Maybe not, <laughs> but, yeah, but, know. um, but you know, I, I, I do see potential. I think it's possible. And, and I think if, if we can, I think it would help. Um, is it going to solve the problem on its own? Probably not. I think a lot of other people need to do a lot of other things. Um, I think there's going to, again, there's, there's going to need to be a lot of experimentation. Um, we, we, but having reasons for people to interact with Bitcoin, I think is going to be useful. You need it to be understood, not just by the core, um, community that cares about privacy and understands privacy and, and all that stuff. That is, look, I am part of that community. I am that kind of person. I also know that it, it just cannot grow anywhere near as fast as we need it to. Is it important? Yes. Do we need to keep doing that? Yes. But it's just not going to grow nearly as fast. Um, it's just not, <laughs> you know? So, so what do we do about it? You know, are we yelling at people on, 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 you know, on, on the Matt O'Dell and Marty Ben podcast? Is that going to help? I don't think it is. I think it's not going to help. So that's why I don't want to do it. Um, I understand where they're coming from. I understand why they think it's important. I think they're right. I think that there is a group of people who do connect to that kind of, 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 um, rhetoric and, and that's great. Um, I don't see how I can help there. I think the way that I can help is by trying to, to bring it to new audiences and to get them to see at least partially what I see as special on this point. Um, I think it's helpful. Where do you stand on the proof of work versus proof of stake debate? Mm. 
or do you? Proof of stake is the, it's the kind of thing that, um, I wish, <laughs> I wish that what I, then what I, we would see more from Bitcoiners is like this a more nuanced approach where I'm happy to say about proof of stake that I would, I would be happy if it worked, right? If it couldn't work in a way that is decentralized and that maintains the, the immutability that we want from Bitcoin, I would love that. Okay. I think it would be great. Mm-hmm. That said. I'm entirely unconvinced that that is possible. Um, I'm happy for the here people to try it out. That, that's, that's fantastic. Um, I don't want them to not try it out. And that is something that I find appalling really in the Bitcoin community that, that like, let's think they want to take the risk. Great. It's fantastic. Right. Hopefully they come back, um, in five years and say, we figure it out. I don't think it'll happen. But maybe, and, um, and then, you know, maybe we can do something about it. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not particularly optimistic. I, I, I look at it and it's like, yeah, there's a lot of problems. Like there's, like you said, there, there can be concerns with proof of work too. Like proof of work is not perfect. And the right. way that it is currently, um, implemented is not perfect. So going the extra mile and, and being like, well, we figure out proof of work, let's have their proof of stake. And it's, I, I don't know, I think it might be, I wouldn't want to do that on Bitcoin. Definitely not, not anytime soon, but if they figure it out, maybe. I I think that the, the debate is often over what success really means too, though. Like, it's like, you know, we want to think success yeah. means a, a bulletproof decentralized, you know, system that can't be um, manipulated or, or gamed, but that's like the, the definition of success. That's what I'm worried about across the board. Mm. Like we could say proof of work is, um, is failing because of, of the, you know, the way that Bitcoin mining is trending and because of, of, um, stuff like that. But somebody could make the case that it's succeeding because it has more of a risk of becoming compliant and that, you know, it might be safer. It might be more eco-friendly. It might be, um, better if, if the government had more control over it. And then same with proof of stake, you know, it's like, I think Mm. that the proof of stake uh, is going to succeed for a lot of people if it becomes more controlled by the big money and by, you know, by, um, you know, all the things that we think are bad. I think that same with DeFi, I think I've said from the start, like a lot of these projects kept their centralized control, their keys, you know, whether it's through like an admin key or through a, a DAO that's like kind of a phony DAO with, you know, big players just controlling the votes. They kept that on purpose because they knew that their project would be more valuable if it was compliant. You know, it's like you lose value when you become this pirate ecosystem that um, governments frown on and that run counter to laws and stuff like that. You lose value. So it might be better for freedom, but it's not better for the pocketbooks of of the investors and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And every token holder is going to vote in their financial interest all the time, you know, and people just want to preserve their wealth. And if they're given ways to do that, they're going to do it. And that's why miners are KYCing too. You know, it's the same thing. So um, Bitcoin holders do the same. Yeah, but they're what can they can't control the chain, right? They can control the narrative though, but they can't control the the ecosystem itself. That's where it gets kind of interesting because that's what I was saying before. If most Bitcoin holders are holding through an ETF and don't give a crap about decentralization, then they can take that narrative wherever they want to take it. 
you know, so that's where I, I get concerned. Um, so in the, in the little time we have left, I just wanted to get back to, um, what we were talking about initially. And like, it sounds like your motives are, are, um, about growing adoption of Bitcoin. You want to bring more people into the ecosystem. We haven't even talked about, um, fees and stuff like that, which is such a bigger topic, but you know, I know you guys have talked about ordinals can help sustain the Bitcoin uh, proof of work system longer term, right? When um, you know it's having to occur, right? If it's yeah, maybe succeeds. not, but hopefully, yeah, right. Um, but do you think that there's more to it? Do you? And I know you before you said like you didn't agree with sale or anything like that. Do you think that it has a future that could be you know like? Like, this is where we have our car title. This is where we have our, our, our the deed to our house. Like, or do you think that's kind of, it's way too early to even consider stuff like that? Yeah. So I think the Bitcoin main chain itself has limited capacity. And I believe we'll continue to have limited capacity. Um, so the idea of it becoming it itself becoming the you know repository for the world documents seems unlikely um the dynamic that ends up happening is that you end up storing data that is valuable very valuable and to me that would be one of two things it's either like these sort of like luxury uh collectibles and those are not going to be math market either, right? It's not going to be like, you know, there was a time when people were talking about Instagram uh, adopting NFTs, right? They, they had this small uh, test pilot thing and they, they tried it and they actually shut it down. But uh, there was a time where it looked like Instagram was going to adopt NFTs. And in a world where uh, potentially every single Instagram creator as an NFT collection with, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of units each, and they each cost like, you know, whatever, 50 cents or something, uh, this kind of mass market NFT vision, uh, I do not think can happen on, on, on Bitcoin on the main chain, uh, just because of capacity constraints. So like if, if people are going to use it for that kind of stuff, it's going to be only for things that they consider fairly valuable. Unless we have another so big block be, debate. You know, I don't think so. Uh, of course it could, but I, I don't think so because it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't, I think when you look into how people are using them, at least today, it doesn't make sense for them to want it to become a math market thing. Like the Bitcoin order rolls and inscription thing seems to make a lot of sense for, or some sense for, um, high end luxury stuff. I don't know that it necessarily makes a ton of sense for mass market stuff. And I don't know that it's going to be a big war one day. I don't think so, but you know, who knows? Uh, but my point is, um, I think it makes sense for those highly valuable things, either collectibles or maybe, you know, there's, there's this project that tries to inscribe, um, you know, all of the WikiLeaks documents now. And I think Snowden has mentioned something about how for very, um, um, for, for, for types of documents that people really want censored, that, then that might make sense. And, and that makes sense to me too, but I don't think that's like a mainstream use case either. Right. So you're going to have 
whatever, once every few years, it's going to be this important leak. I mean, people will want to use the Bitcoin chain for that, but, but not for everyday stuff. Very hard for me to imagine it will be used for car titles and so on, because again, those things, there's many, many other ways you can, you can, uh, uh, both save and secure, distribute them. You don't really need the Bitcoin system for that. I think it, it actually works more for like sentimental things, right? Like where you didn't, you didn't have to have it on Bitcoin, but you're like, well, I love Bitcoin. So I want it to be on Bitcoin. Like, you know, uh, people used to, uh, uh, before inscriptions were a thing, they used to put in op returns, like, um, um, marriage proposals, for example, uh, because they're like, well, me and my wife, we both love Bitcoin and, and, and we want this to be there forever. And it's very valuable for them. It's obviously not valuable for anyone else, but, um, those kinds of things to me make sense. And some people will be willing to pay for them. Mm -hmm. And most people will think they're silly and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that. That's part of my concern about it is that if it does continue to grow, you know, and blocks and blocks do continue to fill up, um, and if there's money to be made with this type of stuff, then it could ignite a new sort of political war, right? Over like how big should blocks be or how should we like it's it's that that's what I meant by distraction before. Um, distraction from the use case of Bitcoin as money, you know, and sort of compromising and making trade-offs that appease multiple parties, you know, that aren't, you know, not all of them are just strictly focused on Bitcoin as hard money. Um, that's where I get concerned. And that's what I was talking about with distraction. It was, it was in those kinds of mm -hmm. cases, which obviously if ordinals continue to take off, become a huge industry the way that, that DeFi did, at least for a while there. I mean, Bitcoin, I mean, in, there's still tons of money in DeFi and like the VCs start coming over and start to try to to take this over, um, it will be just a matter of time before you got Coinbase and you got all these other major players involved trying to capitalize on it. And then that's when you start getting trade-offs, right? And you get trade-offs. Okay, maybe we can make ordinals work and make it still hard money, but we just take a little bit of decentralization away, you yeah. know? And how do you please all the masters? You can't please everybody. And that's what Ethereum has tried to do. And it's turned into this political boondoggle, right? Um, <laughs> Bitcoin is at major risk for, for going that route, you know, and if it's not ordinals, it could be something else, you know? So it's more and more, like I said before, it's becoming clear and clear to me that this, this, this narrative is really, it, it's fragile and Bitcoin as we yeah. want it. I, I, I also caveat with this, a common thing I get back is, well, I'll just dump the shit core, the, the crap fork for my fork. And, you know, I'll just always stay on my proof of work chain that you know is free and and stuff like that but if you're if 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 first of all if it's illegal you're gonna have a hard time and it very well could become that in the future it could be illegal to self-custody in the future a lot of countries are already trying to do that um but also do you really want to be this one percent uh you know on a pirate island somewhere i know you guys think that you're gonna have a citadel and you're gonna be <laughs> all you know but like you know one one you know uh patriot missile and you're done so it's, um, <laughs> you don't want to be an enemy of 99% of the world, right? And once 99% yeah, of, of the world thinks that the, you know, if you're not using their Bitcoin, you're, you're the enemy, you're kind of in trouble. So, um, that's where I get, I'm thinking, I feel like I'm, my view is so nuanced, it's hard to almost describe sometimes, but that's where I get iffy on some of these side sort of ventures. Um, yeah. I don't, I respect your right to build it. Like, I think you should build whatever you could build, but 
But I also wish that there was a way to to block you from the chain without <laughs> without without in, inflicting just straight up censorship. But I realize straight up censorship can't happen. Um, but at the same time, I just I see both sides of this, and I get really conflicted about it. No, I, I understand. I think that those are uh, those are views that again, I, I they're not even new. I think that those are views that people have held for for many years, and. And I, I, I can, I totally saw the point then and I still see the point now. I, I get it. I, um, my view is just different. First of all, I'm, I'm an optimistic person and, you know, some people might say, no, you, I'm just optimistic. And I think that people, I think that humans figure things out. Um, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm insane for thinking that. This, but the second thing is, I, I, I think there are two possible futures for Bitcoin. Um, one possible future is that nobody cares about it. And when I say nobody, I mean, it remains this like 1% thing. And there's a bunch of like famous podcasters and they hop around between conferences. And, you know, we talk about macro all day and how Bitcoin is going to save the world and how wars only happen because we don't have Bitcoin. And we can keep talking about yeah. how wars only happen because we don't have Bitcoin. We four generations and that's it. Uh, of course, there's another version of the future where those people are right and the world is going to shit and all of the governments disappear and then Bitcoin turns up at the savior. I'm not, I'm just not interested in the future. It might be, it may be that, or that I'm, I'm just not interested in it. And then there, I think there's another version. The third version is, is, um, the Bitcoin is going to be appealing for large groups of people that are, that, that it, that are currently not part of the movement, um, for whatever reason. And those people will, yeah, they'll have, you know, they'll have different ambitions and they'll have different motivations and, and it will create problems, no doubt. Um, hopefully, hopefully we can grow this in a way that, um, that we keep this movement aligned, at least to some degree, uh, but also, yeah, we might fail, you know, it, it might actually end up blowing up just because it grew too fast. That's a possibility. Uh, I think you say, you see that a lot of with startups and companies, right? Like they start with this small vision. You have this small, uh, group of maybe like three, five people, uh, that, that know exactly what they want. And usually they fail. Sometimes rarely they do so well that they grow really, really fast. And then that ends up becoming a problem for some of them, right? Like the. They, they end up blowing up because either they blew too fast, they grew too fast, or they, they, they grew the way they wanted to grow, but, but they were not able to manage it. And they were not able to align all the new people that, you know, joined the team, turned it from a five person group to a 5,000 person group, and they were not able to kind of tie everything together. And it's, it's especially a concern with something like Bitcoin, where there is by design, no leadership, right? Um. Yeah, I, I can see why that would be concerning, uh, but I'm optimistic. I think that, I think that Bitcoin can grow and I think that it's worth, um, worth trying if it ends up failing because it, we were not able to pull everything together as it's grow, you know, that's a shame, but what, what are the other options to not grow <laughs> that, that to me does not seem like a reasonable option. So yeah. We'll find out. Can Bitcoin grow while maintaining its kind of legacy and heritage? 
it, it will obviously change a lot, right? But hopefully it can, it can still maintain those things that we care about. But can it? I don't know. All I'm saying is let's find out, you know? Yeah. It's interesting, uh, as you say, we have to grow, we have to grow it. And, and from the point of view, like from my point of view, Bitcoin does what I needed to do already, you know? So yeah. it's, why do we have to grow it? Like, I get it. I understand what you're saying, but it's, I think that's a perspective a lot of people have is that if we're going to change Bitcoin, we should make it harder to, to, um, to use or harder to, you know, to, <laughs> um, to change, you know, and try to figure out the mining problem and try to, should we make it ASIC resistant? Should we shrink that? Opportunity. I'm in favor of all of that. Um, I'm in favor of all of that. If people want, I'm in favor of discussions about banning ordinals. I'm in favor of like all those. Like, I, I'm of course I'm in favor of, of improvements to privacy. Of course I'm in favor of improvements to uh, mining decentralization. My concern is that none of this is happening either. Like bring it on, please. I want to hear about how people want to fix those issues, please. I'm very happy to talk about the issues that I see. Well, I, I have this podcast, but nobody ones. listens yep. to it. So I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things, right? And I, I, I think that, um, and we, we talked about this before. And I think you, you, uh, you do it quite well yourself too. Like we, we can't always just say what we think and what we worry about. There's a lot of, um, impact that that comes from just the way we package things um and you know i mentioned before like um is, is the strategy of like you know kind of Monty band matt odell of yelling at people on podcasts is that going to be effective like i understand where they're coming from i think they're coming from a very good place and I agree with most of the things they'd say i just don't think that that board with packaging is going to make the most impact um and of course, that's, you know, that's why we're doing Tupper Wizards. We think that packaging messages in that way is going to be more effective, at least in this point in time. Um, and maybe we're wrong. We'll see. Um, final question. How do you make a living? Are you guys funded? Are you guys getting paid? I, uh, Tapper uh, Wizards I'm talking about? It's interesting, you know. I have not... <laughs> I have not gotten paid in like a year since I started this. Um, I think that, you know, we'll probably talk about this in another opportunity. I think that, um, I think that there will be, um, a lot of, um, a lot of monetary financial opportunity in the Orals ecosystem too. Um, but for me personally, since we started working on this, I have, I have actually not taken a sentence salary. So there you go. Have you, have you guys raised capital for this? Um, look, we, I, I think we'll, we'll definitely consider it. I mean, we, what we are right now is what we, we want to see if we can use this concept of ordinals to, to build a community that supports the ideals on experimenting on Bitcoin. That is really like the goal. Um, if venture capital will help doing that, we'll do that. Um, if other ways will help doing that, we'll do that. The, 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 the point is, can we, can we take this like enthusiasm and the fact that people are, this group of people are actually using Bitcoin today, um, using like daily doing transactions. Can we take that and turn that into a mint to 
of building a Bitcoin. Uh, and that into a momentum of building a Bitcoin. I think you understand already. I mean, that I'm sure a lot of people But we'll not like, but, um, but yeah, when we'll, you know, if, if, if we'll need funding, we'll get funding. Um, I have nothing against that. Okay. Yeah. It's different coming from like coming afterward. It's different from coming from before where I feel like, um, for instance, like BIP 300 seems like it's very backed by a company that really wants it to happen, you know, and is yeah. investing and is paying core developers to develop. And, and but you guys aren't, aren't in that kind of position where you, you guys are just messing around literally the thing with bip 300 though and i think i'm not so i'm not personally a big supporter of bip 300 i um but i i can appreciate the attempt to experiment i love that and mm, and sure. i don't know if it's if it's if it's good or bad i think there's it's a little unfair i think the way that some people have talked about the vc funding that they have because paul paul Stortz, has been on it on BIP 300 for, for like what, eight years. I remember meeting him in 2016 and he, and, and what, eight years. I remember meeting him in 2016, right? And longest side, really like, I cannot think of any other project in crypto that held back on, on VC funding for that long. And eventually he did. Sure. But like the, the idea of like saying, you know, oh, they're like, they're just pushing it because of the, of the VC, whatever, like, man, if anyone in the world can, can argue against that, it's, it's Paul. Paul really has been doing this for so long. And eventually I think he was like, um, that's just what it seems from my perspective. Eventually he probably was like, well, you know what? We need more resources to try to push this. I can't just do it on my own. And I guess that's why he did it. I don't know. Um, Right. And no, but it's still fair to help it. I mean, it's still fair, I think, to, to always look at, you know, who, where is this coming from? Right. It's Definitely. like, it wouldn't, Definitely. maybe the, maybe the market tried to tell him this is not a thing, you know, and then it only can happen now with, with this kind of backing. It's, it's context. I think it's important. Like if you came and said, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, we, we launched back by A16Z, I'd be like, okay. That's interesting. You know, I think that um, that's it. It's with this kind of messaging and, and stuff like that. So, um, but you, you know, so, but you answered that and I, I get it. Um, but listen, I've taken enough of your time, man. It's been a good chat. I think um, yeah. some people will, I, I think that it's a small subset of people who would find this kind of thing interesting. But I think those are the people that I want to, that's the crowd I want to grow. I want to grow the people right. who are not afraid and to, to, to look at Bitcoin from the outside, you know, look at it as what it is. It's a, it's a planet sort of hurtling yeah. through the universe and there's comets coming at it all the time that could fracture it or blow it up or, you know, and it's like, how can we, how can we protect it? I wish we could just put up a shield around it, but that's not a possibility, but all right, man. Well, thanks again. I appreciate the chat. I like you more yes, than I you, did man. when we started. And, um, <laughs> I did notice your FTX glasses. Uh, didn't get a chance oh, to comment. Oh, I, I wasn't sure if you'd notice. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed them like halfway through. I always, uh, sure. I always do a little um, Easter eggs when I when I go on <laughs> video. <laughs> it's beautiful for the fan, for the fans, <laughs> and for the haters. Right on. Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you, man. <laughs>